The 411 Live, your link to information. And now, here's your food for thought. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Human Trafficking Task Force of Greater Milwaukee's first Human Trafficking Political Forum. Woo! <laughs> Yay! This is all right. I'm very, very excited. And this is the idea of um, our director, Jay Ranky, And you'll be hearing more from him a little bit later and his team. But I'm Dana World Patterson. And I've had the pleasure of being a part of the task force from the very beginning. And this journey has only been about 10 years. Imagine that. So the Human Trafficking Task Force of Greater Milwaukee is the community response to eradicating sex trafficking or human trafficking. And we do this through coordinated services, education and awareness, and policy and legislation. And I'd like to also say that we are um, having our forum in World Outreach Center at 3410 West Silver Springs. So, you know, we're going to hear from the pastors of the church, but we've been doing this for 10 years and we meet monthly and we're averaging about 30 people a meeting, 30 people plus. And it is amazing to me, I say it every month, that we've been able to fill an agenda every single month. So this is just very, very exciting. You all are welcome to the meetings, and at the meetings we have law enforcement, students, professors, doctors, nurses, judges, survivor leaders of human trafficking. We have grannies, we have moms and aunties that come and want to learn more. Those from the labor union, politicians come to our meetings and anyone else who is really just wanting to learn more about human trafficking in our neighborhoods, how we can roll up our sleeves and do something about it. And what I really, really love is that we come, we rub elbows, and then we go into our prospective areas and we do something. So that's how we're still thriving and growing 10 years later, because individuals come, they want to learn, and then they go back and they do something. Few statistics. Human trafficking is third to guns and drugs. And what does that mean? When you buy guns and drugs, you sell those items and then you have to purchase them again. Unfortunately, with human trafficking, individuals are sold over and 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 over again. So when you think about the plight of human set of guns and drugs and the trafficking that is going on there, and then you put a human as being third, some things just shouldn't be, right? One in four girls would be sexually assaulted before 18. And that's very significant because when we begin to talk about pimp culture, many pimps are looking for individuals that have been raped, incest, molestation, where they've experienced those things already. So it's important for us to have just a very clear understanding of what we're dealing with and how systemic this is. 13 is the average age that girls are trafficked domestically. Who remembers being 13? 
was a long time ago, but that's the average age. And when I speak with individuals in schools and that are part of the C-suite, and they work with young people on a daily basis, they share with me that we need to be concerned with those that are even younger. And when you read the literature, you begin to see 11 and 12 year olds who are trafficked. We're beginning to see that more. Wisconsin is considered a hub for human trafficking. And I don't get in so much get into that we're first or second or third because it's happening all over. If you go to Atlanta, they'll say that they're number one. If you go to Nevada, they're number one. If you go to different places, they claim to be number one. I just don't do that. But indeed, there is need for pause in Wisconsin because we know that it's at an epidemic proportion. We know that we have to roll up our sleeves and that we must do something about its eradication. So I'm really thankful that you're here. Milwaukee is called the Harvard of Pimp School, and that's always shocking. It's like, Harvard? Yes, elite. Places where individuals, where the pimps come to learn about this culture so that they can grow their enterprise. So lastly, I mentioned that human trafficking is occurring in all 72 counties. And we glean from that information when former Attorney General J.B. Van Hollen said that that was so. Martha Love and I, we were beating the drum saying, not in our neighborhood, not in yours. Not in our neighborhood, not in yours. Because at that time, the narrative was that human trafficking is an inner city black girl, poverty, no father, even flour and water type of problem. And we're thinking $32 billion, $32 billion worldwide. And the narrative was as pigeonholed as this is an inner city black girl, no father, poverty, eating flour and water problem. So as we're beating the drum, and we're, I'm very grateful that we were able to hear it for ourselves when J.B. Van Hollen shared that statistic that this is happening all across the state in every county. There's nothing to be proud of, obviously, but it's, again, another reason for us to figure out the solutions as to what we can do about it. So I'm very thankful for this forum because politicians knowing what to do and having a mindset around the people that are behind the statistics. You know, we can quote statistics, but we're talking about human beings. 27 million women and girls. That's a person. That's a mom. That's a sister, a daughter, a wife, a cousin, a friend. We must do something about it. So human trafficking is a nonpartisan issue. It, it doesn't matter if you're red or blue because this affects us all. So the conversations that you'll hear today are from that base, that human trafficking is nonpartisan, and we sent out surveys on both sides, and we invited everyone, and we have our lovely senator here that is represented. So I am excited about that, Lena Taylor. 
and we have more that are coming. Today, this evening, there's so many things, good things going on in the city of Milwaukee. So people are divided. You know, I received so many uh, messages in my inbox that said that I would love to be there, but this is happening. I would love to be there, but something else is happening. So here we are. And we'll move right along in the program. I'd like to bring up my pastors. You all, again, are at World Outreach Center. And this is where I learn and where I grow. I'd like to bring up Irvin and Melva Henderson. Um, thank you so much for allowing us to be here. We are um, excited about what's going on. You know, in the city of Milwaukee, you cannot walk, drive down any street and not see it happening. You can turn your eye, you can try to ignore it, but it's right there in your face. And what we've learned is if the church doesn't become a part of the answer, then there won't be an answer. And so we always believe that it's the natural and the supernatural that comes together that makes an explosive force. And so we're here to lock arms with Dana and what she's doing and allow our resources to help push this thing further, not just in the um, political arena, but also in the faith-based community. You want to say anything? With that being said, we'll turn it back over to the lovely Miss Dana. Thank you so much. So we're going to, I'd like to start with the state. We're going to keep it moving. We're going to move from the state to the city community and then we'll meet our candidates. So Senator Lena Taylor is here. She's been a senator since 2005, and she's someone that we can always, always, always depend on. She is the people's senator. Senator Lena. First of all, uh, let us just take a moment uh, to give the task force right? A round of applause for the work that they've done, right? They are holding it down. And I have to ask us to give a round of applause to, you know, some of us call her mother love, right? Um, but I want to say the woman that, um, before I knew it was called human trafficking even, who has been passionate about the issue of the exploitation of women and girls um, around sexual exploitation in particular is Martha Love. And I would say that this task force, for those of you who do not know, it exists because of her tenacity and her commitment to this issue. So for Martha Love, to Martha Love. So the first thing I want to say is in 2005, after I got elected, I got involved with a organization um, and the woman's uh, name was Miss Wolf. And Miss Wolf was the person who was helping us to learn about um, the exploitation of women around the world in particular. And I think it was the first time that I learned about what many women in Africa may go through that is similar to um, men being circumcised. Um, and then we learned about the exploitation um, of women and children being trafficked in particular. And so we came back and she had us on our mission 
to stop trafficking of women and girls. And I remember I came back, I came to Madison, and I was like, we need to do something to deal with the issue for trafficking of women and girls. And they were like, nope. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and I found some of my male colleagues in particular were talking about, well, we need to say human trafficking. And I was like, but it's women and girls, <laughs> mostly but it's, it's all, and it's also not just sexual exploitation. They also do it with people with work. I mean, very candidly, you know, you can think about it even in the farm industry. I mean, it's just so many ways, people cleaning in individuals' houses. So I say this to say that it's been um, a part of me as a legislator, but it's been a part of me since I was a girl because I remember a girl named Jackie. She was about my age. I was about 12, she was 13, and she was from down south. Now I know she probably had been trafficked, but at the time as a teenager, I did not know that. And she was prostituting, and she had a pimp. And he had a Cadillac, I remember that. I mean a Lincoln, a Lincoln. It was, it was silver. And so now I look and I think about if this is what I saw and I can remember as a girl whose family had a business on 29th and North Avenue, I think about the movies of those times when the movie that talked about pimping in Milwaukee, which is why they say the Harvard of, you know, pimp school. But now I know that all of that, when they're going, even the people I learned about that were dancing, right? that that was the trafficking. So what I saw as a child and what I get to do or have been able to be a part of as a legislator, those things have like connected at my heart. So when Ms. Martha started the task force, it, you know, it was important. And when Dana began to chair it, she brought a twist to it that I truly appreciate. And it is the intersection of where we are right now with the faith community. And she started saying something that we had not said before, which is to eradicate it. And people are like, well, that's just so unrealistic. But she said something that was, if we do not speak it into existence, then do, are we really trying to eradicate it? And when she said that, we were outside. I remember we were outside at my old church location on 20th and Center when she said it. And I thought, that is so real. So even though I had three other things tonight, I had to come here because I needed us to know that if we are going to change the trajectory of this city and from the minds of our girls and our boys in this city, then we have to speak it into existence that we need to eradicate the trafficking. And when you can go to a school, and I think of Bianca Williams going to school, going to a school, she had went to Washington, spoke to some kids, and most of the girls, if not everyone in the room, raised their hand. I remember when I was going to school, you know, like it was unusual to be pregnant. It was, you know, now when you ask, you know, who wants to dance or something. So this work 
I don't care if it was three of us in this room. This work is so necessary. So my commitment to the task force is that as long as I'm in the legislature, you have a partner. My commitment to those of you who, you know, find this issue as uh, important uh, to our future and changing the direction, right, of where we are. I don't want to be the hub. I don't want to be the worst. I, I do not, in, in my life, <laughs> I want to be able to say that I was found doing my part, right, to make a difference. So as long as I am in the state capitol, you can know that I will be committed to this issue and committed to the issues that are around it because I think it is also very much connected to education. I think it is com it's connected to mental health. I think it is truly, by all means, connected to addiction. And there is no question with everything that I have that is connected to wealth. You know, and that empowerment that individuals need. So I'll be fighting for people to get a living wage. I'll be fighting for people to be able to have access to get a skill so that no one can put them in a position. You know, they, when I was growing up, it was God bless the child that had its own. You know, it's, it's that same concept. He can't put you in a position if you have an option that doesn't depend on, you know, that person who is trying to manipulate you, right? So thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me time uh, to come and share. And if you have any questions for me, I would like to be able to take any of those questions that you may have um, for me if you had some, but not now because I'm leaving you. But one person had one question for me I knew for sure. So I um, neglect to remember your question, but if you would tell it to me, I will answer it and be done. Well, you know, um, a perfect transition is uh, the uh, other senator for uh, the Milwaukee area, the northwestern uh, portion of the Milwaukee area is in the room. So I'm going to let it transition to her. And as she comes up, um, I will say to you that getting our young people engaged is, you know, important. I will say as long as I know that when we've won the state, um, and it, uh, from my perspective, and it's been blue, uh, it's because young people have been engaged. We've normally then been number one or two in the nation for young people's turnout. But, you know, not to uh, bring in partisanness in it, but the point is, is that I'm saying is that young people make a difference. They make a huge difference. And I don't care if it's young people or older people, I believe that the way that you get people engaged is meeting them where they are. Martha Love told me a long time ago to communicate with constituents. So if we want young people to be engaged, we have to go where they are. We have to talk about the issues that matter to them. We have to help them to see um, why it matters. And by the way, we should also model the same thing. God bless you all. Thank you so much. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Senator Lena Taylor. And this information is so important because when you go into the schools, they're not talking about human trafficking. That's an intra-office term. They're talking about and how can I get that money, you know, things like that. So meeting people where they are is very important. 
the legislators, you're not gonna go and talk about how can I get that money? You'll be talking about human trafficking. So I am very excited to go to the next person, Senator Latanya Johnson of the 6th District. She has been serving there since 2016. Come, Darla. Good evening, everyone. It is an honor to be here to talk about human trafficking. Um, human trafficking was something that when I first ran for the assembly, I didn't realize was a huge issue. I didn't realize it was a huge issue until Martha Love brought it to my attention. And I remember getting a pamphlet about the terminology used in human trafficking and I brought it home and laid it on the table. At the time I was running a daycare center and my teacher picked up the sheet and she said, Tanya, what's this? I said, oh, it's a human um, trafficking terminology sheet. I said, they say it's a big deal in Milwaukee, but I'm not so sure about how big of a deal it is. And then she started naming person after person that she knew that I knew that were human trafficking victims. And then her daughter at the time was 15 years old. And she came out the kitchen and she started talking about her friends who had been involved in human trafficking. And this young lady went to Rufus King High School. Um, a little bit after that, after getting elected, I was able to do some legislation on human trafficking. My daughter went to Pius. And one of my daughter's teachers asked me to come and speak to his class about human trafficking. And it was a combined class. And when I got there, I was met at the door by two guidance counselors, plus himself. And I thought maybe that was protocol for the guidance counselors and the teachers to all meet. And after we had the conversation and I told kids about human trafficking and what to look for, it was probably about 10 or 12 kids stayed after. And then those kids start talking about their stories. Some of them had direct involvement. Some of them knew people who were involved in human trafficking, but some of them had actual pimps that lived in their family that they were very close to. And in turn, they were very close to some of those victims. And I'm happy to say that this state is doing more about human trafficking. Because it's not enough to say that if it's not somebody that I know, or if it's not someone that I know of, that is not important to me. That, that's a lie. That's a myth. Because if we don't start being concerned about what happens to our neighbors, to our neighbors' children, the next victim is gonna be our children. And so I'm happy to say that last session, we got closer than ever to passing Safe Harbor here in Wisconsin. <laughs> Safe Harbor every year is introduced. It is an uphill battle. Safe Harbor is basically legislation that says that if a child under the age of 18 is caught in commercial sex acts, they cannot be charged for that crime as a prostitute because children are not prostitutes. They're victims. 
And if we don't get them the help that they need, they become adults and they're still victims. Every year that this legislation is introduced, it's an uphill battle. But I'm happy to say that last session, we had the Attorney General himself come and testify and say that safe harbor was needed in the state of Wisconsin, that we should not be prosecuting these individuals to get them to testify. There are better ways of doing it. If we tell these children, if we can find them, if we incarcerate them, that's the same thing as telling them that they did something wrong and they did not. We need to send the message that they are victims, that we are here for them, and that their lives can change. And the reason that is so important for us to deal with our children first is because children evoke sympathy. We're not saying that our adult victims are not victims. We're saying that it's easier to get help and support for our children. It is illegal for anyone under the age of 18, in most cases, to legally consent, um, consent to sex. But we have a very narrow window here in the state of Wisconsin to get these children help without them being prosecuted as adults. So in the state of Wisconsin, if you are arrested for a crime, no matter how small that crime is, if you are 17 years old, that goes onto your adult record. We want to prevent that because we want to make sure that these victims, when they get to a place where they are reaching stability in life, it doesn't interfere with them being able to qualify for low-income housing, which in most cases is the only way to help them reach economic self-sufficiency and we want to make sure that certain professions are not off limits to them because of the convictions that they've had in their past. How many people know that if you are convicted of prostitution, you can't be a child care provider, a CNA worker? And a lot of time, these are the professions that these young women choose. They're good at it. They're good at caring for other people. So we want to make sure that that's not off limits. So Safe Harbor passed the Assembly. It didn't get an opportunity to pass the Senate because at the time when Safe Harbor was introduced, the session ended earlier than was expected and it didn't have an opportunity to get to the Senate floor. But next session, this is one of the first pieces of legislation that we're gonna push. Another piece of legislation that would be huge for human trafficking is the truck, truck, uh, I'm sorry, Trucker Trafficking Education. It's SB 444. Basically what that is, it is going to put a curriculum for human trafficking into every CDL component. So when you go and you apply for your CDL and you go through your classes, you will get a component, a curriculum around human trafficking because that's huge. Human trafficking is especially um, prominent along the I-94 corridor, especially when you're talking about transporting victims from Milwaukee to Chicago. Um, as of 2016, Wisconsin has 309,687 licensed commercial drivers. So if we, can, if we can implement that curriculum 
we're talking about over 300,000 eyes and ears on the road. And some of the supporters for the um, truck driving education bill was the city of Milwaukee, the Human Trafficking Task Force of Greater Milwaukee, in Domestic Abuse Wisconsin, the Schneider National um, Incorporation, UMOS, Wisconsin Chiefs of Police Association, and Wisconsin Motor Carriers Association. This bill, too, passed the Senate, but it didn't have enough time to get to the Assembly. So again, when we go back next session, this, too, will be another piece of legislation that we push. I just want to add, too, that the Human Trafficking Task Force of Greater Milwaukee was especially instrumental in getting a lot of the legislation that I was able to pass passed. Without that education, without meeting those women, without hearing those stories, I would have never had the courage that I had to go before those committees and push this agenda. When we went to the Capitol and we were talking about passing this legislation, we brought victims to the Capitol to testify about their stories. There was not a dry eye in the place. And when, uh, it was a horrendous dollar amount that was attached to this legislation. And it was the senators on the Republican side that stood up and told their colleagues to go back to the drawing board, rework those numbers, because something had to be done. And that took us reaching across the aisle, asking for help, but it also took boots on the ground here to make sure that we got this work done. So never think for five seconds that lifting your voice to make sure that something that's important to you is falling on deaf ears when you call that capital. Because 90% of the time, that's what we need to get them to listen. And that's what the Human Trafficking Task Force of Greater Milwaukee has taught me, that it doesn't matter how green the person is that you're sending to the Capitol, if your mission is in the right place, you give them the tools that they need to make sure that that work gets done. So thank you for this opportunity to be here. Sorry I'm so tongue-tied tonight. I have been pushing since early this morning, but I knew that I had to be here because I would not miss this opportunity you guys are making some allies in all the right places, and that's helping me to get my work done. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very good. Yay. Thank you so much. All right. So, Senator Alberta Darling has been in office since 1993. And when I ran into her, and TJ Maxx, <laughs> when I ran into her 
and shared with her that we were having a forum. She congratulated us with the, on the work that we've been doing and asked to, told us to keep up the good work. So I was very excited about that. She's coming in from Madison and to my knowledge, she will be coming straight here. So we'll plug her in when she gets here. Also, the director of the Office of Violence Prevention, Reggie Moore, is en route. Again, there are many things going on today. So our community component, I thought that it was very important for us to hear the voice of someone that has moved from victim, survivor, and who is now thriving. Nancy Yarbrough is the executive director and founder of Fresh Start Learning Incorporated. Nancy. God be the glory, right, for all the great things that he has done. I'll be remiss in my duties if I don't get up and give honor to the one that keeps me every day sane and sound and in my right mind. So I'm grateful to God to be able to even be called to this podium for such a special occasion to say that if we don't stay committed to make a change, change will never happen. As I was asked to come and talk, I was like, all right, God, you pray and then you say, so you get up and you say from the matters of the heart. When Dana said from a survivor to a thriver to an activist and to be committed to make a difference every day, we have that chance November 6th to make a difference. But we have it every time that somebody is elected into office to break the bounds and to break the shackles and to do what com they're committed to do. I never forget the word elected because we put people in office to do the work. So um, I'm thankful that Senator Johnson said that because it is so true. If you're sitting in office in a seat of influence and you're talking about people that we see every day with boots on the ground on the streets and in the Milwaukee academies and the Lad Lakes and all the girls and boys that are being affected by human sex trafficking or exploitation or trauma-based issues in life, then we really have to understand that it takes everybody in this room and some to be educated about what's happening. My journey was from a child to an, a young adult to an adult and went through all those channels that we forementioned. And for the sake of time, I'm just telling you today that I know what it's like to be exploited. I know what it's like to come through every day. I know what it's like to want to give up. I know what it's like to have real resources to be able to help you on your journey because you'll need them. I know what it's like now on the other end to provide those resources that are making a difference. And we are really grateful that we do have a six bed facility now that we do have open that we're able to now bring people in. You might say six beds is not a lot, but I said every day that we can get somebody off the street to make a difference in their lives. Then I'm so grateful that we're able to make a difference. So um, I stand here today in solidarity with Martha Love and Dana World Patterson and all you guys that are sitting here that want to make a difference and every elected official that will come up and sit behind us and talk about what they're going to do if they're elected in office. Just remember, it's a humanistic issue that can't just be talked about. We have to do something about it. So if you have money that's secured in places that could be moved to other places that can provide these resources for mental health for our children to be able to be rehabilitated to be able to help the churches that are now locking arms. We have to put the money where our mouth is and not stop running our mouth and not move the money. 
because it does take commitment, but it also takes the finances as well. So I'm very grateful to be a part of the solution and everybody that um, is part of the solution, let's stay committed and not give up because we do make a difference. We do make a difference every day that we get up and stay committed. And like Dana always says, with the wing, wind underneath our wings to make a difference, I feel you on that one because every day now I'm committed to get up and do something to make a difference. I drove our van here today and it has in there all the sheets and stuff I need to go wash because I didn't get a chance to because my car broke down. But nonetheless, staying committed to doing the work is what's important. And I thank you guys. And we're going to stay together, stick together, and make it stronger together. Pray my strength to the Lord. at the human trafficking, our first human trafficking political forum. It's a lot of good information, isn't it? You can hear it again, 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 and again, and it just gives you that wind beneath your wings to know that we're doing the right thing and that people matter. In 2016, in 2016, 1,600 girls went missing in Milwaukee. 1,100 of them were African-Americans. The question is, and where are those girls? Within 72 hours, the community can be working for you or it can be working against you. Because it's usually said that it's during that time that an individual can intersect with the world of human trafficking. So we're just continuing to build, to keep community strong, so the community is aware of what's going on and that we are a part of the solution and not the problem. Martha Love is the person that pulled my coat string, knowing the work that I was doing with women and girls. She said, hey, are you familiar with human trafficking? I had never heard of the term. She said, you need to come and learn. At that time, we were learning and growing through the county's endeavor. And it was two years that we sat and we learned and we were growing and we founded the County Human Trafficking Task Force. After those two years, that's when I was asked to become the chair. When it sunset with the county, I was asked to become the chair. The city of Milwaukee picked it up and we now, the task force sits as an affiliate through the Office of Violence Prevention. Martha Love has been my, I mean, we, we cry together. We lean and bend like, oh, we're not broke, bounce back up, and we just keep it moving. She has been a wonderful sidekick and encourager, and indeed, someone who has been an amazing heartbeat for the eradication of sex trafficking in our city and in our state. And when I go and I'm in Cuba or other places, I'm going to always say Martha Love. She has afforded me the opportunity to have broad shoulders. Come on, Martha.
You know I'm a big crybaby. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, as I, I, first off, I most certainly appreciate the pastor, pastors of this wonderful church to allow us to have our first event on human trafficking be held here. When Dana and I started with the Human Trafficking Task Force, there was six of us, six. And just look where we are now. Dana World Patterson is a national expert on human trafficking, representing the state of Wisconsin, and then all that we've been through to learn about the eradication of human trafficking and how to involve other people and how to meet people where they are. And um, the children's campaign, it's been, it's been quite a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful journey in spite of the subject of boys and girls being raped being put in a situation of post-traumatic stress disorder. Having people disregard our children, our future. I appreciate the opportunity to work volunteer with Dana World Patterson and Jay and everyone else that has, Laura has stepped up to the plate to make sure our society is safe to make sure our quality of life is quality. And um, the Human Trafficking Task Force, we are not a 501c3. We do not have a treasurer. We do not do fundraising. We have credibility. Credibility sometimes is more important than millions of dollars. Somehow we make it. Look at this beautiful place. <laughs> to hold a meeting to share with the community. Thank you, Dana, as always. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Laura. Thanks everyone that continues every single day to be concerned about children. Our schools, I'm concerned, but the task force is there helping. Superintendent Posey and other people that uh, run school systems and other areas where our children are. At the Boston store, they had a pimp come in there. It was a woman. She was encouraging all of the staff. You're going to lose your job. Come with me. Come work with me. Be a prostitute on the streets. You know, just work with me. One did, her, but her mother went with her to this meeting, and her mother said, oh, no, you're not going to get my daughter. So anyway, I understand my responsibility is to introduce this next person who is one of the greatest men that I know, who is unselfish, who loves this state, who loves children, who loves quality of life and safety. Jay, we appreciate every single thing that you've done in the past and what you will do in the future. So Jay, would you please come up and do your presentation? Thank you.
are on the policy and legislation committee. I think Dana had to leave. Okay. Right. And we have some folks out of town this evening okay. as well from our policy and legislative committee. And those who are, who come faithfully, who are a part of the task force, will you please stand? Yay. Thank you. Hey, why politics? Why do we have a policy and legislative committee for the Human Trafficking Task Force of Greater Milwaukee? Because everything is political. We are a land of laws, and the laws we pass should protect our citizens. They should keep us safe, and they are planned to make it a better community for all of us. Human trafficking does none of those things. It does not keep any of us safe. It keeps our children at great risk, keeps the people we love at great risk. It keeps our community from being the best that it can be because we need to worry about what's happening to our children. Dana World Patterson told you the average age of the girls. The average age of the boys is 11. Our children are being taken from us by people, monsters of this community. Why do we do the politics? Because the laws that we pass can make this a less inviting environment for the traffickers to be in our community. We also need to work on letting the people, the Johns and the Janes know that we have no place for them either. That to think about what they're doing, that we need to look at the demand side of the house when it comes to human trafficking as well, that prostitution is illegal for both parties, the buyer and the seller. But we tend to forget about the buyer. We tend to just let that go away, not in our community anymore. That's what we say. We need to stop making our community so welcoming to trafficking. We don't longer want to be any kind of pimp school, let alone the Harvard. Not in our community, not in our state. That's why we involve with politics, so that the laws of the land protect our children. It can be difficult when you think about the kind of money that is made in this. If you think of human trafficking as a business, we're now told that that money is up to 150 billion, B, billion dollars a year that any individual can make their trafficker up to $250,000 a year. What business person will give up an employee that makes them $250,000 a year? We need to make pass laws that says they have to stop. Laws that make it punishment fit the crime. We can't be mad at our judges for only giving a four-year sentence to, to a human trafficker if that's all our state laws allow them to do. But now that we have changed that law, and now that we can give the individuals up to 40 years in prison for what they do, now we can look to our judges to make that better decisions and better choices, and now we can hold them accountable as well. That's why we do what we do. There have been areas where we have worked hard as the Policy and Legislative Committee, and I've been honored to chair that committee. When I first heard about this from, guess who, Martha Love, 
the issue of human trafficking was at a coalition of black trade unionist meeting. And I didn't know anything about this topic really, other than maybe I saw a piece on television about people coming in internationally stuck on a boat somewhere, but it never, it didn't really hit home until I heard about what was happening in our community and it made a difference. And knew that if we really wanted to make a change, we had to pass laws that made it more difficult to traffic our children. So that's why we do what we do. We, as a policy and legislative committee, have twice now have gone to Madison for legislative days where we've gone and we've talked to all the elected officials from our community about why this is an important issue. Remember going to Senator Alberta Darling's office and the first time we went for our lobby day and having a discussion with the folks who worked in their office and it's, you could see that they were being educated as well. They didn't really know about it. We can't blame people for not taking a stand if they don't know anything about it. But once we educate them, we demand that they stand with us. And that's what we continue to do. Continue to educate our elected officials and demand that they stand with us. This isn't because the pimps, the traffickers, they don't take it easy on their victims. We're not gonna take it easy on our elected officials. We demand they stand with us to make this changes needed in our state. We have lobbied hard for safe harbor in our state. We are the only state in the Midwest that does not have a safe harbor law. We stand alone as an island surrounded by all the other states around us who have safe harbor laws. We need that law to protect our children. The traffickers tell their young victims that the police don't care about you. The first thing they're gonna do when they pick you up is arrest you. If we arrest them, we, fit, we are fulfilling the traffickers' promise and we lose the trust because that's what we need to build is trust with those who are victims. We need to get them to trust us so they can trust themselves to make the right decisions. That's where we begin. So this evening, we in, sent out 47 questionnaires. And again, it tells us we have work to do in our community because we received five back. For those who are running for office coming up in just a few weeks, we received five back. We did receive one note that we were asked to read today from Senator Tamley Baldwin. It says, we have a moral obligation to take immediate comprehensive action to end the scourge of human trafficking which is devastating countless lives, families, and entire communities. This pain is especially felt in Milwaukee, where so many young people full of promise are being deeply harmed, and far too often no one is being held to account. This must stop today. I've long been a strong supporter of the Violence Against Women Act, and I've worked to continue strengthening this vital tool to help survivors. I've also championed the Bipartisan Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2017, the End Modern Slavery Initiative Act, and Justice for Victims of Trafficking Act, which have been signed into law. Our work does not end there, though, as I'll continue to work to secure millions in funding for federal human trafficking prevention programs through the Senate Appropriations Committee. That was sent to us from Senator Tammy Baldwin. But tonight, we did have one candidate who cared enough about this issue that showed up today, sent back their questionnaire and showed up today. So we were gonna have a panel with our elected officials, but 
We're going to have a conversation instead. How about that? So running for state senate in District 7 is Red Arnold. Red, would like to have a seat? Thank you. Um, we're going to be um, talking about some issues that are really will be of great importance to us in the upcoming year. Once the election is over, once people are sworn, sworn in, they'll get a visit from us again. And we're going to talk about some of the issues that we'll be talking about in the coming year. Thank you. Um, thanks for first for filling out the question and for showing up this evening. Thank you for having important. me. Appreciate it. Um, the one issue that's very important to us in the Human Trafficking Task Force is this issue of safe harbor. Um, it says that no one under the age of 18 will be arrested if they're picked up for prostitution, solicitation, but instead they'll be getting care and treatment. Again, it's a law um, we would like to see passed. We worked hard on that. Um, Senator Alberta Darling and Senator Latanya Johnson um, held a hearing about that for the Senate. They both testified about the importance of passing this. Um, so again, we'll ask you, Red, um, what do you think about a safe harbor law of if children are picked up for prostitution or for solicitation that they're not um, arrested but instead receive help? And Do it. Definitely, because um, that is a problem. Uh, one of the reasons that, that answers this questionnaire, uh, this is a topic that is near and dear to me. My, my parents are both retired Milwaukee Public School teachers. My mom used to teach at Elm Creative Arts School, which used to be on 26th and Garfield. And the story she would tell, just, and this is 30, 35 years ago when I was a kid, um, uh, one time one of her friends was banging on the hood of a fancy car, Mercedes, you know, this back in the day where if you had a Mercedes, you know, uh, driving around on 26th and Garfield, and this young black girl gets out, and there's a white guy sitting in the back. And you knew exactly what was happening, and she was banging on that hood saying, hey, you ever come around here again? And he never did. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, being recorded to drop names, but there was a, a kid who, um, back, back when I was young, he was a grade above me, so I was in fifth grade, he was in sixth grade, and he was an elm, and my mom taught dance. And he was one of the male dancers, and they were doing a tap routine, dressed as a, you know, in the 1940s military garb to the tune Boogie Woogie Boogie Boy. And less than three years later, he was actually busted in middle school for attempting to pimp out girls in middle school, and this is 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I personally know people who have, since uh, they, they finally tell you the stories since the age of eight, uh, beginning about age eight, that um, her father and her older brothers would basically flip a coin on who got to have her that evening, and then she'd have to go into school wearing a face as if nothing's wrong. And then from there, um, just basically uh, uh, leading a life that uh, you wind up in a scenario where um, instead of getting the treatment and help and finally admitting to somebody and having a safe harbor, literally as the title says, to go, now you've got a criminal record. And just as she was saying, now if, if you try to get a, a job, 
-hmm. You can't. And I've, I've had to do it. I, I wouldn't do it anymore. Um, back when I was uh, managing an auto parts store, it was, okay, here is the pile for felons. Here is the pile for not. And you go through this pile first, and that's just the way that they did it. And uh, it's sad. And uh, I know that um, uh, there are uh, other programs um, uh, to help people, but if you don't have, and that, but that's an, as an adult, if you don't have anything for children, because just like you said, children. Now, it, and I'm I'm more of a libertarian. All right, if you want to do yourself what you know. He gave us free will. He said, here's the apple, do what you will. Mm -hmm. All right, if you're doing something for your own free will, fine and dandy. But when you basically are, are under somebody else's control, then you really have no choice. Then you are property, and no human being should be property. We fought a war over that, okay? Uh, so we eradicated half of that, but now it's now instead of out in the open, it's hidden. So it does need to be dealt with. And then also, um, my research and my studies, uh, talking to... I can't name them now, hopefully after I get elected, um, but I'm convinced that this is actually a problem that goes far higher than we're even aware. The people I talk to, um, people in the program, um, people uh, in, in um, religious organizations, the girls will flat out tell you that some of their customers, the Johns, are law enforcement, are judges, are CEOs are people who are supposed to be the ones that are protecting them from this, but they too are part of the problem. So um, that I think is going to be the toughest hurdle we have to get over because like you said, it's $150 billion. Yes. That's a lot of money. Yes. That's a lot of money somebody doesn't want to be messed with. Yes. So uh, be prepared for a lot of flack and be prepared for some, if I get elected, I'm going to flat out tell you that I will never ever off myself, especially not two to the back of the head with a single action revolver, if you catch my drift. But I'm dead serious when I say that that's the level I'm talking about when, when we're, we're going into who is actually running this, this show, if we really, and again, I can't say much, but uh, that I think is going to be the real hurdle. Because one of the things we continually run across when we talk about safe harbor with some elected officials is the belief that they made the choice to do that, that, they, that a 16 or 17-year-old has chosen to become a prostitute. So part of our education is getting folks to understand that if you're that age, it's not a choice. Someone's forcing you into that. And there's something that's making that decision forced upon you that any one of us, if our child came and told us that that was their career option, would know that yeah. we need some kind of help. So how can we help educate others in the legislature about understanding that that's not a choice? Well, um, something that uh, I don't know if this is going to be mentioned, but uh, a lot of the people I talked to, they, uh, one of the main uh, inroads, similar to the, the, the young gentleman who was working within the schools, it's called a Romeo or a Romeo John, essentially what they do is they become the boyfriend. And then many, many tactics, whether it's, oh, we have financial troubles here, just do this dance for this guy. And then the next time it progresses and progresses and progresses, and then if you say no, you get beaten. And then you hide that. And then basically you're, you're programmed to say, okay, well, I cannot leave. This is my only option. I am stuck. And... Um, 
I can't, I don't know if she's here or not, but she could probably tell you all about that. Um, but that is, um, it, it's, it's basically grooming. And uh, that's something to look out for, both for parents, for teachers, for educators, for, for politicians. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, because it's just like anything. If you ask, I, I, I was an alcoholic for 10 years, okay? I didn't wake up one day and start down a half a bottle of booze. It's a progression. So um, a lot of times this will be, it, dancing was another one, the dance and then, so it's not like, you know, you're, you're a CEO of a company and the next thing you know, you know, you're getting beaten selling your body. It's a progression that happens and it happens step by step. So being able to recognize those steps is, uh, is I think, whether again, it's teacher, parent, politician, that's the steps we need to take so that anybody, literally anyone anywhere can, hmm, that doesn't look right, and identify that. Hey, one of the other areas that we'll be working on is, was also mentioned earlier, was the traffic truck driver's bill. Um, we have talked with folks who are part of Truckers Against Trafficking. We've talked with um, the folks who are our, our Teamsters and getting them on board as well on this bill. Um, what we want this bill to do is to mandate that any school that is teaching truck drivers licensing would have a component to educate them about what's happening with human trafficking. We hear from uh, other victims and survivors and from other pimps that have been arrested that often the youngest girls are put to work at truck stops. You're not going to see them on the corner, but they will be working the truck stops. We need to educate truckers on what to look for, how to make sure that if they're not participating, they can recognize if someone else is, they can recognize why, who that young girl is over there in the corner and why she shouldn't be there by herself. So how do you feel about the mandating truck driver training around human trafficking? Well, again, with the libertarian, um, mandating is usually not the way that I prefer to approach things. I prefer to approach things in the sense that, like a please and thank you. I have a five-year-old niece who say, you know, if you say please and thank you, Papa, I'll give you a little more candy. The incentives to do that, um, and I think you, you were right on the money when you said the Teamsters, because if it comes from us, I'll give you an example, and this might not be a great example, but there's a speed limit sign. I don't see any kids playing. I don't see, okay, they say 25 miles an hour. I'm just going to go 40. There's no reason I shouldn't go 40. Whereas, if you see the sign but know there, there are children in the area, now you're incentivized to actually slow down. Your actions will change. You tell me to, you tell me to do that. Okay, well, okay, I guess I got to do this. And you got to incentivize it for them. Make them realize how important this is. You know, get into their heads that, hey, this could be your sister, your daughter. Okay, and um, now if you want to even say add benefits of sorts to adding that to versus a mandate, that would be the approach that I would take. But I, I really think that, that especially if you get the Teamsters involved, it comes from them. And then, and here's the key, they would get to control that. Because then if you have the state, well, now you've got this, and I talk about this side, they will be more in agreement. I think that they will get more done that way. Again, <clears throat> um, the libertarian, I, I firmly believe that the private sector and the people who know and the people who are involved in that industry will hands down be able to do it, then 
I've never driven a truck, but yet if I make that decision, is that going to be more beneficial than the people actually doing the job making the decision? Well, I'm, much of this, I'm sure the Teamsters would love to have every truck driver be a Teamster. We know that they're not. <laughs> so we need to also work with those who aren't part of the Teamsters union. And we also, um, one of the things that we tried to work on last year was to pass um, a piece of legislation that would mandate that all state-owned office buildings would put up posters about human trafficking with the number for people to call if they ran into trouble. That piece of legislation was watered down tremendously to be that the state of Wisconsin would offer posters available for anyone to pick up and put those up. Um, I think that's still where it sits, is that those posters are available. But when we worked with the county, the county, when we were under the county of Milwaukee, they did mandate that all county buildings would have these posters up. So just offering that, just making it available, doesn't always work, and we've seen that happen in the state. That's why we believe it's important to mandate that piece of legislation, that that's what well, it's about. Um, uh, again, I'll take the opposite side on that. Sure. Because mandating, it again, um, say you mandated that I had, for uh, uh, October's Breast Cancer Month, the NFL players, they, they wear the pink, they, they really get out. That's not mandated by anybody, but they incentivize it. They, they, they get in, they, they, they get everybody involved. And when you're, if, if, if you're forced to do it, you, you really have no skin in the game. And you have to want to do it. Again, when, when people really know that this is, this is a factor and you can really open their eyes, especially with stories like they'd have on, on not a dry eye in the house, Getting that, getting that out there, you'll, you're more likely to no, know, I want to put up the poster and having them available. And again, mandating, okay, mandate, oh, well, I put it up and it fell off, versus uh, I see that it fell off, this is important to me, I'm going to put that back up. So um, you can, and again, I, not that I, to say that I would vote against it, but I think the, the real action is getting people to know and getting them incentivized to do the work, to understand it. Because then when you have everybody involved, I mean, look, if, if you would have said 15, 20 years ago, hey, guess what? In the month of October, all the NFL players are going to be wearing pink. Want to bet money on it? You would have bet me the farm. Oh, no way. But, but no, now they do that because, hey, yeah, this is a good cause. This is, this is what we need to do. And it gets done. Mm -hmm. And I would just add that, as you mentioned before, that speed limit, 25 um, and people going 40. Uh, is it knowing that children are on the street or is it that police car down there that's testing the speed limit that slows more people down? So we can talk about yeah, that. True. Because the next piece we want to look at um, is, again, the other place that is be ah, um, where young people are being forced to work is in hotels and motels. Um, and another piece of legislation we would like to see is to educate motel and hotel workers about what to look for around human trafficking. How do you feel about a piece of legislation around mandating education for hotel motel workers? I think we may be at the same yes. speed limit. Yes, it's the same point, but again, um, I know people working in the, in the, in the industry, and uh, they too will tell stories. Um, and again, mandating something doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get done. Now, uh, mandated versus incentives, whether it's you, you give awards, you offer bonuses, you, 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 you will put, say, just for example, Holiday Inn or uh, Howard Johnson, uh, they, they hit so, so many, uh, then you, on the Super Bowl, you, you say Howard Johnson wins the award for, for having reported so many. Uh, again, I think, you know, government isn't necessarily always the answer. 
because if you mandate it, okay, you're almost, you're almost just skating by to do the least amount of possible versus getting the people involved and saying, no, we really need to do this because this is important, because people's lives are at stake. And, um, and again, I mean, human trafficking, this is something that, again, 10 years ago, I never heard of, I, I heard the stories that mom told about, but oh, okay, that must have been isolated incidents, not realizing that, okay, now all of a sudden, boys, the, the hub for human trafficking, the Harvard of, of PIM schools, but if I didn't know that as somebody who was running for office, how many other people? So I think that's the key, and what you guys are doing is fantastic because getting that information out there, now the, the hotels and the motels will want to be a part of that because unless they're, they're, the ownership is seedy or the management is seedy, you don't want that element around. So again, that's another incentive to make sure that these people off the streets because the next thing you know, that could be your daughter, that could be your sister because they're somebody's daughter and somebody's sister. So again, um, not, not saying I wouldn't vote against a mandate, but I, I always think that there's, I, I always look at things differently than most people, and I, I think there's, there's just always a different way to do it because if you really hit people here, and mandates never hit here, so. All right, well, again, understanding that so much is happening around motels in our community, and as Senator Johnson said, that highway between Milwaukee and Chicago and all those little places along the way, again, we need to educate folks as to what's happening around that community and make sure that the folks who are working there feel like they're also empowered to do something. So if there is some kind of mandated education for folks who work in that field, they may feel more supported to be able to report what's happening in those hotels and motels as opposed to being afraid of losing their job. And actually with, with that, for example, for, for your group or other groups like it, um, putting resources, even state resources into groups like that so that they can get, that would be something that, that I hands down would be for. Uh, because again, you guys are the driving force, you guys are the ones that really, that this, this is your calling. You know, you're going to be the one to make sure because if that fails, then, well, I failed and I failed these girls or, or guys if, if it were the case versus a mandate where it's like, well, okay, I don't know the, you know. So I, I, I really think that regardless of what it is, you know, whether it's, whether it's being for nuclear power, against nuclear power, whatever it is, if you, Earth Day is another example. In right, 1970, said, hey, this is so polluted now, we celebrate it every year. And it's a thing because people got behind it. It's not mandated. They put it on the calendar. They mandated it's put it on the calendar, but celebrating and do something about it is not mandated. But because, you know, we say, no, we really want to make sure that the earth doesn't, you know, get polluted, yeah, we're behind it and we get it done that way. Hey. Now let's, we're going to talk a little bit about labor trafficking because many people don't believe that that actually exists in our community, but there were some questions about labor trafficking on the questionnaire as well. In 2000, the federal government passed the Human Trafficking Victims Prevention Act, um, and the first piece, uh, uh, the first lawsuit that came under federal um, government under that act happened here in Brookfield, Wisconsin for someone who was being labor trafficked for 18 years by two doctors. It happens in our wow. community. I did not know that. Yep. So, and then last year or the year before, I don't, sorry, I don't remember exactly the year, but work permits were no longer required for our 16 and 17 year olds who are getting jobs. 
So parents no longer had the opportunity to say yes or no, it's okay for you to work here because the child could go out and get the job without their parent even knowing about it. It also put, we believe, in the Human Trafficking Task Force, it puts our young people at risk because no one knows that they're out there working, no one knows where they're working, no one knows the hours they're being asked to work, and no one knows the jobs that they're being asked to do. We would like to see work permits for 16 and 7-year-olds be put back into our state. How do you feel about work permits for 16 and 17-year-olds? Well, uh, circle gets the square again. Uh, <laughs> again, um, I, I started working at the age of 16 at, uh, at well, I started at Dairy Queen for two days and Speedway offered me more, which actually both were above minimum wage. That's another topic. <laughs> but um, I, didn't have to, I didn't have to do any work permit. Uh, again, uh, I, this one at least, uh, I can see more of a benefit to it because you, you at least have some sort of tracking, some sort of record. Um, but again, those things can be bypassed versus having people, you know, going in there and making sure, hey, I noticed, uh, so uh, how long you been here? How long you, oh, really? Oh, you just got here. And uh, so I think having involvement versus having paperwork, and again, state-run paperwork, is going, to, is going to help that matter more. But this, at least, I could, I could see where it would be more beneficial than the other subjects having a work permit. But again, um, just because I didn't need one doesn't mean somebody else uh, doesn't need one. And, and I get it with the parental uh, controls, but one of the things that, at least from what I've seen, is that especially this younger generation, um, moving, transitioning into adulthood, starting to make your own decisions, is almost it never, no decision, no decision, all of a sudden you're adult, and now instead of you know, transitioning to a 20%, you're transitioning 80%. Um, so having the work permit, if you've got that environment where you still have the parents that are, that are kind of keeping the child you know, close to the chest for a card analogy, maybe that might not be beneficial to the child. But then again, of course, on the flip side, you've got you know, the people who are undocumented, et cetera. And matter of fact, I've seen uh, TV shows where they, they kind of joke about that. There was a lady getting her nails done, and she, somebody mentioned something and said, hey, are, are Mei Ling, are, are, are you here against your will? And she just put her head down. And it was meant as, as a comedic joke, but yeah, here we are talking about it seriously. So um, again, uh, there are pluses and minuses with it. There are more pluses than the other ones for government mandate, but again, I think involvement is more key than actually a piece of paper because those can be forged. You know, you can, you can work around the system and, uh, but being involved, it's, it's, it's even like parenting, you know, you can, you know, oh, okay, my, my kid's at home. Okay, did you check the bedroom? You know, did they sneak out the window? So, not saying I ever did that. <laughs> uh, but, but again, that being involved and having that, having mom actually look in the bedroom versus just saying, okay, in for the night. Um, same thing with the involved. I think that is always going to be more key and more successful than any sort of government mandate. Having those cards tells us where to look and where to be involved and where our young people may be. It helps us find them. It helps us um, make sure they're safe. Um, today we were told that, um, someone mentioned today that maybe one of the reasons are we don't have a lot of people here today is because there's an important Brewer game on tonight. Is that what it is? Oh, I hadn't, I hadn't heard anything about that. But there's some irony in that statement because under when big 
sporting events occur, when national disasters occur, is when more young people go missing and more young people are brought into that life of being human trafficked. Because when the Super Bowl happens, someone believes that they need to have young women there to offer to those who go to the game, to sell young people. Not only do they buy tickets, but they buy our young people. Mm -hmm. Same thing occurs during, could occur during the World Series as well. I'm sure the folks that are in Florida have to be concerned about their young people right now because when those natural disasters occur and people are uprooted from their home, that sense of hopelessness occurs and we need to continue to bring hope back to people, especially our young people. So now it's January 1st, 2019. You've won the election. What do you do? What are the first things you do to help eradicate human trafficking in our state? Well, one of the first things would be um, something I forgot to mention before. Uh, my dad taught high school, and he would notice that some of the girls would hunting weekend, deer hunting weekend, oh, I'm taking a vacation to Hayward, or I'm taking a vacation to Hurley. Um, that would be something to watch out for deer season-wise, because I know it's big in Wisconsin, specifically state-wise. Um, but this isn't necessarily a state thing, but unless this has changed, as far as I know, the FBI does not actually have a database on missing children, because you said 1, 000, uh, 1,600 women went missing. It, girls, uh, in a, last year, was it? 2016. And yet, there's actually no database that the FBI keeps. I find that unbelievably strange, and that kind of goes back to it, and I hate to sound like a tinfoil hat kind of guy, but again, who's controlling this? Um, so starting with perhaps, even if we have to do something at the state level, uh, or maybe kick the FBI into gear, or make that known, um, start keeping a database on that for ourselves. If no one else is going to do it, well, maybe we need to, or maybe we need to allocate resources to that, whether it's in the budget, whether it's in a bill, whether it's, um, just expanding what you guys are doing now, or maybe having rolling that into some sort of statewide. Um, uh, that would be something that I would like to put resources into, because again, it's not a, a, anything that you mandate. You're, you're taking the people that are already involved, that, that know uh, what to look for, that know the industry, know the business, and, uh, and at least keeping data. Because I'm a Six Sigma black belt, which is a glorified statistician and number cruncher. And I firmly believe that almost anything can literally be quantified and once you know the numbers, you can break it down into a simplest formula, always find the answer. And from there, you can actually start to pinpoint and stop these things um, once you can quantify it. So that would be what I would like to do, is if, if they can't get their act together, then, then we, as a state, start keeping that database and uh, give you guys the resources uh, to do that. So that would be. All right, thank you. Thank you, uh, Red Arnold, candidate for state Senate District 7. Thank you. you. I'm here all week. Try the meal. <laughs> Thank you. And we are, uh, do you mind having no. staying here for a oh, minute? No, I'd love and to. Senator Johnson, would you be willing to come up um, come on, as look. we can take questions now from the audience? Uh, we want to point out that we have been very clear in not identifying anyone's party. We don't care. We care about who's willing to work with us on eradicating human trafficking. We, human trafficking is nonpartisan. It doesn't care about the party you belong to. It doesn't care about the color of your skin, your economic status. It, it doesn't care about those things. 
We care about the people who want to eradicate human trafficking, and that's who we will continue to work with. Um, so whatever party they belong to, we will work with you. We will work to eradicate human trafficking through informed policy and legislative choices and laws. So, okay. Are there any questions? How about one question, somebody? Please stand. Good evening, guys. Thank you for joining us. My name is Vicki Hay. I work at the United Way, and I'm the health portfolio manager. And one of the problems that we see intersecting with all of the problems we've talked about today, including human trafficking, is housing, affordable, safe, secure, quality housing um, for survivors, um, for victims, and for their families. Uh, what would you propose um, in terms of addressing fair, equitable, affordable housing, and especially in the city of Milwaukee, where we know that um, landlords don't have to accept public vouchers for that have been issued, even though it's money in the bank, they don't have to accept it, and so they don't. So while people experiencing homelessness have vouchers, they're still living in the street. So they have valid checks in their hand and can't sleep in a safe bed. So what would you do to address public housing? Um, I think, first of all, housing is a big issue for everyone, um, especially in the inner city of Milwaukee. We have areas where people in the inner city of Milwaukee are paying more rent there than in Washington Heights. Eviction is a huge issue in the city of Milwaukee. And so I think we need to do a lot more to address that. But we also need to come in, A, to make sure that the housing is safe. We're seeing that a lot of these houses are not safe for our children. They're infested with lead. Um, but I think that there's more that can be done and should be done, especially through WIDA. We can have a cooperative here in the city of Milwaukee to create safe, low-income housing for those individuals that need it. In some cases, we've hit roadblocks because there's a push to create at least a thousand um, low-income, um, I forgot what the words is used, but it's kind of like co-ops. They're going to create co-op housing and the down payment to own one of these co-ops is going to be somewhere around $500. But it is not going to be open to anyone with evictions on their records. So when we talk about creating safe, quality, affordable housing, what does that do to, we may as well say, almost 50% of the inner city that won't qualify for, these, for this housing? When I was having a conversation with some of the powers that be at WIDA about opening it up to make sure that those with evictions could qualify for housing, and that was one of my pushes, I was told, well, you better be careful because poverty makes a lot of money in this city. And that's the issue. That's a huge issue. Um, not only for the families that are being affected before this state too when we put children in those homes that are lead infested and they become ill we as taxpayers are on the hook 
whether that's through disability, remediation, making sure that those families can safely relocate, we're on the hook for that. So we need to do more to make housing accessible, to make it affordable, but the question is what? What more can be done? And I think that that's gonna take a cooperative effort, not just with the state level, but with the city level too, but WIDA definitely needs to be at the table. Excellent, we have another question here. Um, I'm a student minister, William Muhammad. I represent the Nation of Islam here in, in Milwaukee. Uh, this is the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March. And from the Million Man March uh, was a lot of organizing, a lot of political activity, and a lot of advocacy. And one of the things that we called for is legislation that was family friendly. Uh, when you look at the policies that have come from federal, state, and county government over the last 20 years, it has been horrendous if you grade them on the basis of does it support families. When you talk about sex trafficking, you're talking about vulnerable children whose families have been under assault just by legislation. Um, we used to uh, protest and advocate against the welfare reform laws that were being passed, the child welfare laws that were being passed, uh, the uh, prison uh, legislation that was being passed, the NAFTA and all of the things that put strain on families, took women out of their homes, if they were, whatever they were doing, uh, and men in prison. So who's protecting the children under that kind of environment? So what is it that the, from a political standpoint, that can be done to help strengthen the family structure, which is really the basis of any community and nation, and that within itself would go against uh, sex trafficking and help eradicate it? I personally think in order to make our communities more family friendly, we have to offer incentives. Right now, the employers have no reason, no reason whatsoever, to make sure that the families who work for them actually have the parents inside the home. And what I mean by that is that under the laws that we have here in Wisconsin, which are very similar across the rest of the country, if an employer offers employment at part-time, they don't have to provide benefits. No medical, no paid time off, no paid sick leave, no vacations. So there are incentives for employers not to hire people full-time. So if I'm an employer, and I can hire you at the bare minimum, send you to the state for all of your benefits, and not be penalized for doing that, why would I create full-time employment? That's just gonna take more of my money off of, off, of the, off of my profit. I'm not gonna do that. So in my opinion, the state has to do more to create partnerships with these businesses to make sure that they are hiring families 
at least at full time at full time um, full time employment status. If a family is working multiple jobs, right? If I'm working at Walmart, Walmart doesn't hire anybody full time unless you're in administration. Today I might work five to nine. Tomorrow I might work nine to two. How do I even get a second job with those hours? Then you factor in the fact that I need daycare. I'm gonna have to add in transportation to and from my first job, transportation to and from my second job, which is only gonna cover about five days a week, right? But then when I work weekends, who's there to keep my children? It doesn't matter if the oldest child in that family is seven, or 17, that older child becomes the head of the household when that parent is at work or when they're too tired to take on those motherly or fatherly responsibilities. So what can this state do to make sure that our families have more family time? We can start by creating incentives for these employers to hire full-time employees. We can start by making sure that our childcare laws are changed. So these parents are eligible for additional hours so these children are not being left at home by themselves because they don't have anybody to watch them. There are a whole slew of things that we could do to make sure that our families have more family time and time to spend rearing and raising their kids. But we're not. Because employment, employers are private sector, right? And government shouldn't be involved with private sector. But we are quick to interject ourselves into those families' lives when they have to qualify for food stamps, medical, and childcare subsidies. That's the issue. We are penalizing these families for being poor and for having to rely on these jobs that will not hire them full time. And that's the issue. And to piggyback off what she said, my main issue is actually this thing called DPC, Direct Primary Care. And if you go to votereadarnold.com, it's a 43 minute video that explains the whole thing. And I made it 43 minutes specifically so you could watch it on a lunch hour still have time to go to the bathroom and go smoke a cigarette if you're a smoker. I specifically actually made it that length. I wanted to make it longer. Um, but essentially, uh, from what I understand, they, and I, don't, I haven't read the bill, so I don't know if it's you know, got all the stuff that it needs to have in it, but this is gonna be my main issue, is getting this through. Uh, direct primary care is actually a loophole even within the Affordable Care Act, section 1301A3, that basically takes the hands out of the cookie jar. Essentially, the hands in the cookie jar in healthcare that shouldn't be in there are out, okay? And uh, what that will allow is for, first off, the bill that was, that was to go through was so, was so it could be the foundation, the framework for the Medicaid and Medicare system in Wisconsin, okay? So essentially what this is, is just like, your, your car insurance, your home insurance, okay, insurance. Insurance being Latin for in case happens, right? You don't use your car insurance to buy gasoline. You don't use your home insurance to buy a door or a roof. Why are we using health insurance to see our primary care provider? Insurance is for catastrophic. 
Your car insurance is when you get into an accident. So, the, so when the health insurance industry, when the HMO started in the 80s, the hand started to get in the cookie jar because they supplied the pharmacy, they supplied the x-ray and the CAT scan and everything, and those hands have never come out. This takes those hands out and that alone, having direct primary care as the model for either people who want to pay for themselves or having the companies, and literally the cost is $2 a day per person on average, two bucks. That's it, 60 bucks a month. So if you got a family, kids under 19 or $15, so if you got a family, 95% of your healthcare coverage for 150 bucks a month. You can see your doctor anytime you want to. It's an amazing system. It's a new topping on an old burger. We've just forgotten what that burger is. So that direct primary care model with all, if all the businesses and all the people who, who are either self-employed or don't want that model, which is pretty much going to be the same thing, but whichever way you want to pay, that's going to dramatically bring the cost of healthcare down, which now will allocate other funds. So even if you are working at Walmart, say for example, and you're only working, you don't need to worry about the benefits because you can now buy your catastrophic from whomever you want, but you can still get 95% of your coverage through uh, your direct primary care model. So I would implore you to go watch that video because if we can get this going in Wisconsin, the rest of the country is going to follow and the amount of savings for both the, the private citizen and the government are going to be astronomical. It appears that you would like to speak to that and then we're going to have closing thoughts, okay? Direct primary care, the way it was introduced in Wisconsin is absolutely horrible. I sit on a study committee for direct primary care and it is awful. They wanted to use, a they wanted to start a pilot with Medicaid patients for direct primary care. What pilot do you know that has ever included Medicaid anything that was beneficial for the people who were on it. It's awful. Awful. First of all, it's not insurance. It's a supplement. What low-income person can afford an additional $150? That's the reason that they're on Medicaid to begin with. The reason that direct primary care would be so expensive for Medicaid patients is People who are on Medicaid don't use their insurance. They can't take time off of work to go see the doctor, first of all. So you have a very small sector of individuals who utilize urgent care. So if you pay $150 or even $77 a month for every single Medicaid patient that you have, it's gonna cost the state more money because you're paying for those individuals who are not going to the doctor. It, it's awful. I'm sorry, yes, One thing we know for sure is that human trafficking has many intersections. Along the 10 years that we have been moving in the direction to eradicate sex trafficking, we continue to expand because we are met with these intersections. So now we know that we also have to include insurance, Medicaid, Medicare in this process because we want to be healthy and with the individuals that we are engaging with. So thank you for bringing that up. We're going to have that to be our last question. I'd just like you to end briefly with hope in eradicating sex trafficking. Let's leave on a high note. Let's I'll start by saying that I feel confident that the state of Wisconsin is getting the message. 
that more has to be done concerning human trafficking. And also the federal government is saying that more has to be done concerning human trafficking. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that Safe Harbor came so close to passing last session is because of federal law. Federal law now says that if you choose to lock these survivors up, rather than providing services, you will lose federal funding. No state can afford to lose federal funding. Because of the work that the Human Trafficking Task Force is doing and other organizations around Wisconsin is doing, it is on the radar of every single elected official in the Capitol. You now find people looking for work to do around human trafficking. Because it's not, it's not a partisan issue. And I'm, I'm happy to see that. Because a lot of times, when things involve our kids, especially those kids who don't come from families with means to fight back on their behalf, very little gets done. But this is one topic that I can honestly say that I am seeing people reach across the aisle. Safe Harbor passed the assembly on 93 to zero. 93 to zero. So I think that should give us all hope. Agreed. Um, back to I mean my personal story. I, I basically I lived in a bottle for 10 years. And I, I was lucky. I actually had a support system of family. It's one of the reasons I wear uh, these dog tags. But the the message is, is that it was just one day. One day, all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. And it happened. So these people who are, are stuck in this and they think that there's no way out, you know what? That one day can happen. Now, if we are there collectively to help that, that day can happen sooner. But never give up hope because... You know, I was in a place that most people would never, ever want to be in. But you know what? One day. That's all it takes is one day. And you can change your life. You can change another life. You can change it all around. And that's what we need to strive for, whether it's one person, whether it's ten people, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's somebody you don't know. You know, the, these simple little things are, are really what can take a coin and completely turn it around. So, yeah. Hope, um, you who are here tonight, whether you're watching us on Facebook Live or are here um, in the sanctuary, um, we could not have done this 10 years ago. We could not have done this two years ago to have a policy and legislative candidate forum, but we had our first one today, and we will have more to come, and that gives me hope because we know about the problem in our community and we care about our children and we will no longer let this happen. So thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'd like to share with you that LaShondra Scott from Neil Soul Productions is filming this or 
is bringing us Facebook Live. I'm not sure how we say that. <laughs> Facebook Live is coming to you from Neo Soul Productions. How about that? <laughs> and I would like to thank you all for coming. I, this has been phenomenal. Just loaded with information. You know, we, we should never, ever feel that one person can't make a difference. So thank you for being here. Thank you for streaming this live. And that concludes, I, I'd really like us to end with prayer, but I don't want us to have any conflict. So the Human Trafficking Political Forum is officially closed, okay? Thank you so much for being here. And if you'd like to stay, I'm going to invite my pastor, Melva Henderson, up, and we're going to pray. But if you're not interested, thank you so much for being here. Come on, darling. This is wonderful. Let's just stand, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to go home. Father God, you heard the cries of your people enslaved in Egypt, and you empowered Moses and Aaron to speak boldly to Pharaoh on their behalf and you delivered them from their bondage. We hold before you the lives and cries of all enslaved and trafficked people in our community, in our city, in our state, our nation, and in our world. Open our eyes to see each victim as a human being created in your image and according to your likeness. Make all of us bold to speak to the pharaohs of this world, your words of justice, human dignity, and freedom not only with our lips but in our lives. Fill us with your holy anger at the many ways men, women, and children have become commodities for another person's profit. Give us the will and the courage to work for justice, freedom, and dignity for every person. Enlarge our hearts to love one another as you've loved us. Give all victims of human trafficking your healing, peace, and hope so their lives can be made free. Turn the hearts of traffickers, that there can be repentance and conversion in their lives. Strengthen the resolve of our nation, political leaders, and all who work for the well-being of others so we can establish equal protection of the law and equal opportunities for every person. Bless the continued efforts of Martha Love, Dana Will Patterson, and the Human Trafficking Task Force the policy and legislative committee in every political figure who has a heart to see this atrocity end. In closing, Father, thank you for putting on the hearts of the people to get out and vote, to make their voices known as we work together to end human sex trafficking. Thank you for moving Safe Harbor forward in our state. It's in your name that we pray.